Hello again, everybody. You know who this is. This is Anthony. This is Anthony Harris, your host for the podcast, Looking Back, Moving Forward. This is another episode in which I'm going to share some of my thoughts about what's going on in our country, just some commentary and some pontification on my part about what I see is going on. Just they're my opinion. Some of it is factual. Some of it is just opinion. So uh, I'm going to share that with you. And I want to start out with uh, something we've been hearing in the news a lot lately. And I talked about this on my last podcast, and that's something called critical race theory. And as you'll recall, there are a number of uh, Republican legislatures, Republican-dominated legislatures around the country that are enacting laws and, and, and passing bills that would make it unlawful for teachers, whether in uh, universities, state-supported universities, or public schools, prohibit them from discussing critical race theory. And therein lies the the disconnect between those people who are advocating uh, banning discussion of cr- uh, cr- uh, critical race theory and and what critical race theory actually is. And I suspect that the vast majority of those legislators who are opposed to it simply don't know what it is. And as I explained last uh, podcast, the critical race theory is basically saying that Racism, systemic racism, and, and white supremacy have been around since 1619. And they have always played a part in the history of the United States, whether it was the enslavement of, of Africans, uh, the Reconstruction, the Jim Crow laws, um, destruction of communities like uh, Greenwood up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or Rosewood in Florida. Emmett Till, all of those murders and things that have gone on that have helped shape the history of, the, of our country, that's, that's what critical race theory said. That is, it's, it's sort of built into the DNA of the country, and we need to acknowledge that. We don't need to try to consider it. We don't need to dismiss it. We don't need to try to whitewash it. We simply need to understand it and try to do whatever we can as a country to come to grips with um, systemic racism. But anyway, these individuals are in in these red states, these Republican legislatures, they have just, they have just gone overboard. And I'm putting that mildly. They have, they have latched on to an issue that they think resonates very strongly with voters, particularly white voters, white suburban voters who embrace their argument without even factually knowing what it's about. And, you know, one of the arguments against critical race theory, so it goes with these legislators, is that critical race theory, critical race theory teaches white kids to dislike themselves or to hate themselves because uh, of their race. And that's far from the truth. Uh, you know, it's a good example of how your opponent can try to define you define your positions rather than you're defining it yourself. Uh, it is so easy for them to build a, uh, a boogeyman, create a boogeyman here. It's what they've done with Black Lives Matter. That's what um, FBI and others did with Dr. King in the 60s. They create this, um, this myth, this myth that this entity, this movement, 
this idea, this theory, is so fraught with things that are un-American that we cannot possibly embrace them. I remember as a kid growing up in Mississippi, we used to see these billboard signs along the highway, Highway 49, going through Hattiesburg, and there were these ubiquitous um, billboard signs that showed a picture of Dr. Martin Luther King. And underneath the caption of it was, Martin Luther King in a communist training class. And what they were trying to do there is uh, paint and taint the movement as being something that it wasn't. They figured if they got enough people to label it as Marxist, as communist, that people would, would abandon it, would turn against it, would hate King, and this fledgling civil rights movement would just we just die, and, and the Jim Crow supporters, the, the white supremacists, the segregationists, they can go back on doing, go back to doing what they've always done, which is to um, exercise white supremacy. So the um, what what these these individuals are afraid of, obviously, is that with information getting out, and I know here in Texas. Uh, the Texas legislature is considering a bill, I think it's passed the Senate and going before the House, to actually ban teachers, as I said earlier, from teaching about critical race theory. They, they don't want children, they don't want, whether you're in college or whether you're in high school, middle school, wherever it happens to be, they don't want you to know about the history of, of slavery and systemic racism in this country. It doesn't say that you are a bad person, that you are um, anything like that. It simply is telling a story. It is telling a story of truth. And for those who don't want the story to be told, simply feel that they, they will lose something, that they, their power somehow, their influence somehow will be diminished if the truth is told. And of course, we always have been told, you know, from kids up, the truth should set you free. And there's no point in trying to whitewash it. There's no point in trying to sweep it under the rug. Um, you know, that, that's just, that's just that's insane. Uh, even part of the Texas um, bill is that teachers can't discuss current event issues anymore. And, you know, that's a terrible thing. That is basically telling your kids there are certain parts of history you, you can know about, but if it's about something that is not... Uh, so positive about our nation and our history with our country, oh, let's not talk about that. Let's, we only want to focus on what is good about the, the country. You know, I heard that term of American exceptionalism that, you know, all these things, despite all of our bad <laughs> things, that we're still that shining beacon on the hill. And that may be, but that light would be even brighter if we would just simply deal with this issue of race, which America has never done. I mean, you, you see... In, in stops and starts and starts and stops of people trying to do something about that. But uh, in the end, ultimately, nothing is going to change that much unless and until these legislators just come to their senses and stop trying to sweep history under the rug. Stop trying to pretend. You know, basically what they'll say is that, okay, slavery happened. It was bad. It, it doesn't have anything to do with today. No, I'm sorry, that's not right. As I'm in my upcoming book on Leading While Black, I, I talk about how contemporary racism is linked to historical racism. 
And if you ever intend to understand contemporary racism, you have to understand its origins. You have to understand its foundation, its genesis, where it came from. And if you choose to ignore the history and you only want to focus on what's going on right now and, and, and you want to sanitize the past and you want to sanitize the, the present, well, we're going to have a bunch of kids educated or miseducated believing that um, things like Rosewood and Emmett Till and, and Greenwood and those places never happened to Scottsboro boys. You know, Scottsboro boys, I was talking to a group this morning and asked, how many of you know about the Scottsboro boys? And nobody knew about it. And I suggest that if you haven't um, read about the Scottsboro boys, you don't know about them, Google them. These are a group of young black kids in Scottsboro, Alabama, who were accused of sexually assaulting a white woman and, you know, just a, a series of of mistakes and, and intentional um, actions by the prosecutor and the judges in, in all those cases, uh, these kids ended up on, on death row. And later on, they their sentences were commuted to life in prison. And despite the fact that the woman who claimed that she had been sexually assaulted later recanted her story and said, none of this actually happened. Despite all of that, they remained in jail and it wasn't until probably in the mid-2000s that the state of Alabama finally got around to exonerating those young men. So you're not going to read about that much in the history books. And those are the things that the legislatures, these legislators don't want kids to read about. They don't want them to know about the, the, the miscarriages of justice, all the things that have been happening that stem out of systemic racism. They simply don't want kids to know about that. They don't want anybody to know about that. And, you know, you hear these, these, um, these people, I mean, even, um, what's that guy's name? Tim Scott, you know, he, he just, he just says, you know, that's, America's not a racist country. And yeah, yeah, we've had a few bad apples here and there and had a few things happen, but America's not a racist country. Well, there are a lot of us who beg to differ. <laughs> you know, we have, we have the receipts to show that America was started as a uh, on a racist foot. It has, if you trace throughout the history of uh, of our development as a country, you will see racism uh, stamped all over it. For example, as I remind people, the GI Bill was passed in 1944 to provide uh, resources, financial resources for returning GIs after World War II. And it provided funding for them to go to college, to start businesses, or to buy homes. And that was, that was a noble thing to do. It was something that the country needed to do to help with the transitioning uh, GIs back into civilian life. And it, it really marked the development of a strong middle class in this country because uh, people had low interest loans or, or, or grants to go to college to start businesses or, uh, or to buy a house. Well, the other side of that story that they don't have in the history books very much is the fact that over a million returning black GIs were denied in those, um, those financial grants and, and, and uh, resources from the GI Bill. And here's how it happened. This, the former slave states, I will call them, the, the southern uh, states, uh, many of them very powerful uh, Democrats at that time, they persuaded the, the federal government to allow states to 
enact rules and to implement the GI Bill. They said, we can do this better at the local level and at the state level. Let us handle it. And the federal government capitulated and said, okay, you do it. Well, these former slave states, the people in charge with the responsibility of implementing the GI Bill, they just found ways to keep black veterans from getting this money. And it affected home ownership, the rate of home ownership, the rate of college attending, attendance, and all of those things. And again, you're not going to read about this much in the history books, but it's true. And that there's just so many markers along the way from 1619 to the present time, up to and including what happened to George Floyd, what happened to Breonna Taylor, what happened to Ahmaud Arbery. The list goes on and on and on and on. But my point is this. Contemporary racism, racism that we see today, is tied directly to what went on in the past. And that's, that's, that's one of the underlying premises of critical race theory. And that's one of the reasons that the opponents of it don't like it, don't want anybody to teach it, don't want anybody to learn about it, is because it's uncomfortable, it's inconvenient, it cuts across, it cuts against that notion that of American exceptionalism that, yeah, we are, uh, we're the best. And, and I'm not going to argue that. I'm just saying that tell the truth about your history. You know, just tell the truth. I think people can handle the truth. Some people can handle the truth. But we should not make it illegal, as they're trying to do in Texas, illegal to go out and talk to kids, school kids, about the history of race and racism in this country. And for the last, I guess, a number of years, probably four or five years, I've been invited by a friend of mine to come speak to his class at a junior high school here in, in the Houston area. And he's at, he knows of my involvement in the civil rights movement, uh, coming from Mississippi and all. He, he knows about uh, my, uh, my involvement and the stories that I have to tell and the wisdom that I've developed over the years and the insights I've developed over the years about uh, the civil rights movement. Again, he, he's always invited me to come and speak to his classes, and I've enjoyed doing that. But under this new Texas um, bill, and if it becomes law, I don't believe I would be allowed to go speak to his class anymore because somebody will think, because I tell them stories about what happened to me and happened to others in, in the 60s, that is something that they don't want the kids to hear about. And that's a real-life example. This is not theoretical. This is something that's, that's for real. Okay, moving on from that, um, something else that's been in the news here lately is this person called MGT, Marjorie Green Taylor, that wonderful representative from, from Georgia, um, the red state of Georgia. And she has, she is unhinged. I mean, <laughs> someone called her the other day, she is, she is unwell. Unwell, I like that term, unwell. And she, obviously, she's she's got some issues. She has some problems. As we know, she accosted uh, uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, right outside the, um, the House chambers and just started yelling and stalking her and, and just making a fool of herself, just unhinged. You know, that's the best way to describe her. She is, she is unwell. She's unhinged. And she is a um, 
she is a cult follower for sure. That's not that's not an exaggeration. And she is representative. I'm a I'm I would assume that she is now representative of the Republican Party. People like Matt Getz and um, Louis Gohmert and and these individuals they are now the face and the voice uh, and the um, of the Republican Party because these individuals. Uh, continue to serve. They, they they make these crazy statements. You know, Louis Gohmert the other day from Texas, he was saying that the there was no such thing as an insurrection. What happened on January 6th uh, was not all that bad. You heard this guy, Andrew Clyde from Georgia also. What are these Georgians? How do you get, how do you elect these people? And he talked about uh, the insurrection on January 6th was not an insurrection at all. It was just like a normal tourist day people walking peacefully up and down the the uh, the hallways there in, in the Capitol that he doesn't understand. He says a bald-faced lie to call it an insurrection. And, and what's interesting is just in the last day or so, um, someone, a, a photo has surfaced of where this guy, Andrew Clyde, is helping to barricade a door to keep the terrorists from coming into that room. Now, if this was such a a peaceful, patriotic theme, um, normal tourist day where people are not trying to harm anybody. Why would he be assisting people in putting up a barricade to protect those inside that room? The hypocrisy of some of these people is just incredible. And it's not just Andrew Clyde. It's not just Marjorie Green Taylor, even though they, I think they're the poster people for the, um, I don't know how it was, however, how else to call it, but the idiocy of, uh, of the Republican Party, they, they're just, um, they're unhinged and, and they have no shame. I mean, even when they can be presented with the facts, I'm, I'm afraid these individuals will still say, um, the, the insurrection was just like a day in the park, just like a day at, like a Sunday picnic. Um, so, we're going to continue to see more uh, denials. I think what's what's I would call it is big lie 2.0. Uh, the first big lie was that Trump won the election, that the election was rigged, the election was stolen from him. That was big lie 1.0. Now, big lie 2.0 is going to be that all the insurrection really um, wasn't that bad. It, it was just some a few bad apples got out of hand and 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 you know that that's all it was. It was just like a, a normal tourist day, and you know that's that's the uh, that's that's big lie two point oh. And I would say two point oh a is to hear Kevin McCarthy the other day say that, and and he he said it without, I mean with a straight face. He said, uh, nobody is talking about um, Joe Biden not being the, the president of the United States. Nobody is talking about that. Nobody's denying that Joe Biden was elected president. And if you go back and look at the video, he has said it. Donald Trump has said it. All these people have said that Trump really won the presidency, that Joe Biden didn't win. It was rigged. Dead people voted. Um Ballots were hidden and all those things, and 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 you can see that's part of the the big lie 2.0, and you can see it also being 
um, played out in Arizona as the uh, Alabama, uh, the Arizona Senate has authorized is a Republican-dominated uh, Senate in Arizona, state Senate, of having these uh, this audit of the votes. Now, keep in mind that they two things. Keep in mind one is that they're only canvassing and and auditing votes for the presidential election, and not auditing votes for anything else or any other uh, race, but only for the presidency. There's already been two audits of the vote by state officials, objective people, not people with an axe to grind, with an agenda to promote. They found that there were no no issues. There was no fraud. There was no, uh, the election was not rigged. Now, here comes the Arizona Senate saying, okay, we, we're going to hire a private firm, uh, um, Cyber Ninjas is what I think they're called. And we're going to rent a coliseum there in Maricopa County, Arizona. We're going to rent this this venue, this this coliseum, and we're just going to take it over and we're going to start an audit. And we're going to use all kinds of, of fancy kinds of things, even though this company never doesn't have any experience in, in cyber, uh, I mean in um, auditing and um, elections and that sort of thing. But what what the owner of that company has in his favor, and the reason I'm sure he got the contract is that he was a big supporter of Donald Trump. And so he's the, the person that they have picked. Um, they don't care about transparency. I mean, yeah, they are being transparent, but they're not, they're, not, they're not trying to hide their bias. They're not trying to pretend that this is an impartial audit. When you have the person who owns the company that's doing the audit being a big supporter of Donald Trump. You also have a person who's there helping with the audit as a former state representative who is who was at the Capitol on, on January 6th. And he's made a number of um, uh, speeches supporting Donald Trump and, and promoting the big lie that the election was stolen. So he is there supposedly as an observer, not as an observer, but as a, as a participant in the audit. So... You know, it, it tells you a little bit of something about what um, the lengths that some of these individuals, these individual states will go through to to try to um, do the impossible. I mean, they're, they're not going to over, they're not going to over, uh, turn over the, uh, overturn the, the results of the election. You know, Joe Biden is been in the office um, going on three months. And he's not going to. <laughs> I wonder what's the end game here. What are they trying to do? And of course, they are just. It's all about the cult that they're involved in. They just want to please the cult leader, and give the appearance that something is going on that's going to please the cult leader. And 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 truth be known, uh, Donald Trump is pleased with what's going on. He thinks this could result in a domino effect where. What's going on in Arizona can happen in Pennsylvania, can happen in Michigan, can happen in Wisconsin. He just wants it to go on and on and on and on. So he can sit back and say, see there, I told you so. I got robbed. I got rigged. And, and you know, it's it's nonsense. But ultimately what this does, and I've, I've mentioned this before, what Donald Trump and these um, Republicans in, in Arizona and, and those who voted in the, in the Congress to disapprove the certification of votes from the 2020 election. 
what they're doing is playing right into the hands of the Russians. And the Russians, and probably other countries that are adversaries of the United States, one of the things that they know that can destroy a democracy is when you can cause people to lose faith in one of the basic functions of a democracy, which is the right to vote. And if they can get enough people, and that's why the Russians, you know, they manipulated things in 2016 and 2020, just to get people arguing with each other, distrusting each other, distrusting the system, distrusting the candidates and all those things, because they didn't really care who became president. They just want to destroy the system. They just want people to lose faith in the integrity of our electoral process and, and the systems that go with it. And, and you can see that's what these people are doing. They are proxies, unwittingly maybe, but yet they are proxies for what's going on with the Russian effort. They are doing the bidding. They are doing carrying out the work. They are sowing discontent. They are sowing doubt about the electoral process. And, and it's not because there's evidence that something went wrong in the election. It's simply Trump said that there was something wrong. No evidence, nothing at all. And if you can convince like 70% of the Republicans in a poll recently indicated that they don't think Joe Biden was fairly elected, that uh, he was he won fraudulently and he won because the election was rigged. You have 70% of the Republicans who believe that nonsense. And as long as, as that's happened, the Russians and Putin, they can sit back and just put a great big old smile on his face and say, look at there, boy, Donald J. Trump and those Republicans, they are doing just what we want them to do, which is to make people doubt their basic democratic right, and that is the right to vote. It's just create as much doubt and uncertainty over the whole process. And, and we can become so divided as we, we might become that it could really do some damage to the, to the democracy in this country. And I think that was the message from Liz Cheney in what got her booted from her leadership position in the Republican conference in the House, is that she, she said, I, we just can't move forward. We can't go on with this big lie because what we're doing is we are harming the democracy. We're harming our country by continuing to uphold this big lie that the, that the election was stolen. We have to cut it out. You know, the, Trump lost, period. In the story, he lost. Most presidents, uh, presidential candidates who lose, they just go on about their business. They start something else. They, you know, they, they find some philanthropic uh, endeavor and they try to do some good but this guy is doing anything but that and so you know what liz cheney did and you know speaking up and standing for her principles that part of what she's done i i have to tip my hat to her but at the same time i don't want to um, deify her quite yet because after all she helped create this monster this monster called the Trump administration because she did vote for him and she supported his policies from Muslim bans to um, locking up kids in cages in, in, in South Texas. Those are things that she supported and that helped create um, the Donald Trump that's now wreaking havoc out there. So that's those are some things that are going on that in my mind I think need to be looked at and um, so those are some things I wanted to talk about today. I'll just mention one last thing, and that is you're hearing a lot of 
discussion about the unemployment benefits that have been, some states have uh, turned down or have, I know, I know Alabama and some other states, they basically told unemployed uh, workers that this extra boost of $300 a week that you've been getting from the federal government, you're no, you're no longer going to get it because we think you now have an incentive not to work, which is pretty silly. And what what is so harmful about that is that they're basically telling people this $300 a week that you are getting that will end in September, it's not a permanent um, payment that you'll be getting. They're saying that you'd rather get that money and sit on your butt, watch TV, then go work. And that's not true. That is not true at all. Uh, there was a study that just came out recently that showed that um, with the unemployment numbers that came out recently, the group that is going back to work the fastest, the quickest, and most of them are going back, are people at the low end of the wage scale. Those who are making minimum wage or slightly above minimum wage, those people are going back to work because they want to work. So when when you hear people say, you know, people want to stay home, uh, uh, they want to collect their unemployment and not work, don't buy into that baloney. Because the statistics, the, the numbers show that a significant number of people going back to work are poor people, people at the low end. If they wanted to just sit on their behinds and collect unemployment, I'm sure they could have done that. But they want to work, and we should respect the, the dignity uh, that these individuals are trying to hold on to. They want to work. There's pride in work. There's satisfaction in work. And these people want to do that, but yet these legislators are telling them, no, we think you, you're just lazy, and we think you have, you, you just don't want to work. You'd rather take this money, and that's not true. And, and, and of course, um, what people are really saying is that you know, a lot of the people who are uh, unemployed and collecting this, this $300 extra, they are uh, uh, um, parents and mothers in particular who are home with their children because the schools are not in session and they have to stay home. They can't work and, you know, they just can't be in two places at the same time. They're to care for their children, make sure their schoolwork is being done and go out and work. That, that's, that's an explanation that really resonates for me. There are people who are taking care of, of elder uh, parents and um children you know it's you know that that to me for anybody to say that people would rather collect unemployment than work now i'm sure there are some people who would rather do that but you know don't use such a broad brush don't be so don't show such um, anger show some compassion show some understanding that people at that low end of the income scale, they want to work. But more than anything else, when if anybody thinks that the problem is with people making too much money if they get unemployment, and that's a sad commentary on what are they making to start with? They're making low wages and, and you, you've got to raise the wages. You know, people are going to work. People are, will work. People want to work. 
And I think we need to be fair with them and give them a living wage. I mean, you know, there's obviously there's something called the working poor. These are people who they're poor, they're working, they aren't trying to rip anybody off. They don't fit the stereotype of the welfare queen that Reagan came up with in, back in when he was um, president. None of that nonsense is, is true. It's a stereotype. It's a caricature. So don't, don't buy into that. I, I hope that those individuals who had their $300 extra cut off of them, uh, I, I pray that they will still find a way to, to make it because their governor and their legislatures uh, don't really care about them. Uh, they would rather punish them than help them. And that's really sad. That, that shows a lack of compassion. And these are the same people who will go to church on Sunday and sing from the hymnals and put their hands on their hearts and sing the Star Spangled Banner and salute the flag and do all those things that they consider patriotic. Yet they will tell these, these struggling workers, number one, we can't pay you $10, $11 an hour because that you'd be making too much money. We can't give you $300 extra because you'd be making too much money. We want you to suffer. That's basically what they're saying. So anyways, keep your eye on that. Uh, we've covered a lot today. We've, we've talked about Marjorie, Green, Marjorie Taylor Greene. I call her Marjorie Greene Taylor, but it's Marjorie Taylor Greene. Her last name is Greene. And how she, is, um, she represents uh, the unhingement of, uh, and the cult-like behavior of the, the Republican Party there in D.C., how Liz Cheney has um, dared to stand up for some principles, but yet I'm not ready to uh, deify her or, or give her any, any special props because she, um, she helped create this monster called Donald Trump and the, the Trumpism. And she, she had already admitted she voted for Trump in, in 2016. She voted for him in 2020. So when you, you start voting against your own self-interest and your party's interest and your country's interest is a little hard to um, to have a lot of um, understanding and sympathy for you. But I, I do think she represents a, a departure from many of her colleagues in the Republican Party who simply are afraid of Donald Trump, who, um, you know, it's all about re getting reelected. For Kevin McCarthy, it's about flipping the House so he can become Speaker of the House. That guy is, is just pathetic. I mean, and the way he has flip-flopped is just, is just incredible. But I think what's going to happen is that uh, it's going to back, backfire on them. I think, um, you know, they talk about big tent and growing the party. Already fewer people than, uh, than four years ago identified with the Republican Party. The percentage of people who identify as Republican is starting to, to, to go down. And independents, those in the middle, they're getting fed up with the Republican Party. They're getting fed up with the antics. They're getting fed up with January 6th and, and um, Big Lie uh, 2.0, that it really wasn't an insurrection. Uh, that They're getting tired of that. And it's going to bite them. It really is. They, they just don't have the numbers. Now, they can gerrymander as much as they want. They can have these voter suppression laws as much as they want. And, and I hope and I pray that when the 2022 ele midterm elections come around, that, um, yeah, things will get better. We, we need to change. We need to increase the, the majority in the Senate, and we need to uh, get more Democrats elected to the House of Representatives. 
because this is serious business, folks. Uh, we have some people uh, on the other side who who are who are bound and determined to um, turn back the hands of time, to suppress voters, to promote another big lie, and 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 at the end of the day, they simply don't like democracy. That's a powerful statement, but they lay claim to it. But when it comes to the Constitution and the rule of law, they do not support it. That's my word for today. I want to thank you again for listening, for being here with me on this episode of my podcast. Um, get your vaccine if you haven't had it already. Continue to wear your mask. I know CDC said that if you've been vaccinated, you can take off your mask. Well, I'm not ready for that yet, folks, because uh, the, the the key phrase there for those who are vaccinated, and when I go into a place, whether it's at church or grocery store, and I see people without a mask, I don't know who has been vaccinated and who's not been vaccinated. And they say we'll have to use an honor system, but that's not that's not good enough because We've already seen such a large percentage of, of people who say they simply will not they will not take the vaccine. And the last figure I saw was like 37% of the U.S., uh, maybe a little bit higher than that now, have been vaccinated. And that's a long way from the 70-80% that is needed to, to achieve herd immunity when we can say that the pandemic is over. And that's the... That's the the criteria that I'm using. When someone says the pandemic is over, I will go into any place without my mask on. But until that happens, until someone who's credible, not some politician, not some pundit, not somebody who who has a, who's a anti-vaxxer, the Rand Paul kinds of people, um, I'm not going to listen to them. When someone with credibility and with, with authority says the pandemic is over, that's when it's time to take off the mask. Until then, keep wearing your mask, get your vaccine. That's it for me today. Thank you. Bye.